What a great few days we've had, hey? Who's had a good time? You know, undoubtedly, my favourite part of this week was last night. And if you'd asked me um, in the, the weeks just gone, what was I most looking forward to? It really was last night. Um, because this is why we've pulled together uh, SENT and the Leadership Conference um, to pray together and get uh, envisioned for what God is doing within relational mission. And I think even more than what we've heard uh, from uh, various wonderful um, speakers over these last few days, I believe that praying together, uh, we capture the heart of those that we're running after, that we're following. Is that right? And so last night, I was so thrilled that we were able to be there in what I think is such a significant time for us as a movement. I I, I believe that over the last few days, as we've been receiving from Mike Plavacci and Nick and Marlene, as we did yesterday, that we've dared to believe that God might have big purposes for us. But I, I think last night, as we were calling out to God for revival, I think for the first time in my life, uh, I've prayed for revival quite a few times, um, you know, in sort of enough gatherings and so on. But I think for the first time in my life, I really believe that we can see revival in our lifetime in this nation. We really need it. We really need it. And I want to just speak to you guys um, as sent just for a moment and, and encourage you, urge you to be at the next Enough Evening. Friday the 29th of June, it's later this month, in your local churches or in hubs near you. This, this movement of churches is going to get together and pray again. And this is such an important time. And I want to urge you to bring your friends along. Bring anyone you know. If they've not been at Sent this week, anyone who's a Christian, bring them along so that they can get a hold of uh, what God is doing through us as a family of churches. Um, because we capture something in prayer, don't we, when we pray together. Please be there. Please be there and give it all that you've got um, because God is going to do things as we pray. Um, so as I said, we, I think we've, over these last few days, maybe in the leadership conference stream and in Sent, we've started to believe that um, God might do amazing things through us as we step out in courage, as we take steps of faith uh, in him. But the thing that we can most um, confidently say is that God's kingdom is going to go on increasing, okay? Regardless of us, his, his kingdom is going to go on increasing. It is going to... To, it's never going to cease uh, increasing. We see this in Isaiah chapter 9, um, which is going to come up on the screen. And I want to just read this to us. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is the kingdom of Jesus we're reading about. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Those are some amazing verses, but this is the most amazing one. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That is the most important part of that verse, and we sometimes skip over that when we read over those verses at Christmas time. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, God is, is far, far more zealous than any of us. And we might think that over these last few days, you know, that we've been pretty zealous. We were pretty zealous in prayer last night, weren't we? We got, we got going after a while and God was stirring us up. We got zealous as we were hearing from Mike Pilavachi and from Nick and Marlene. God's stirring up our passion. But you know what? Our zeal, our passion for God's glory doesn't even begin to compare for his own passion for his glory. He is, his heart burns that he is glorified. And that is the most wonderful news that you can hear today because it means that life is not all about you, it's all about him. 
and that his kingdom is never going to stop increasing because he is zealous and he's the Lord of hosts. That means he has angel armies, he has all authority and he is all about increasing his kingdom that many, many, many millions of people come under his rule and reign and give him glory. He is zealously committed to that. I don't know about you, but I am hopeless at projects. I am really, really rubbish at projects. I might say to uh, someone, I'm going to go running every single day uh, for this whole year. I'm going to get fit. And I will last about three days. I, that's how long I usually last. And that's happened for the last five years, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm hopeless at seeing through things that, um, I mean, that sounds like I'm a really, really lazy person. Uh, but I, I think, you know, we can be so, um, we can set about doing something and it can be dropped after a while. God is not about to drop his plan to have a kingdom that will uh, cover the whole earth, every nation, tribe and tongue. He's not about to drop that plan. He is passionately committed to his own glory. And so that gives us confidence. And it and so we can expect that his church will be victorious. We can expect that. The world is going to grow darker. That's clear from the scriptures. It's going to grow darker. But we can expect that as the world grows darker, the church will shine brighter. We can expect that. It's going to happen. That gives us confidence. And it might not be the case in your church situations, wherever you're from, you might look at your church situation and think, this doesn't seem to match up with this. That is not relevant when it comes to this truth here. God is about a work of increasing his kingdom and his rule right across the earth. And it is, it is, it's not the case that the church is going to be clinging on by its fingernails uh, until Jesus comes back. That's, that's not the reality. It's not that we just got to sort of hide away in a bomb shelter thinking, okay, Jesus, please come back soon because we're just under so much pressure here. No, we will be under pressure. We will see difficulties and we will... Uh, face resistance and we have even faced resistance this week I dare say but the reality is Jesus rule and reign will continue to increase his church will advance that is a certainty and we simply get a part to play in that we get to play a part in the increase of his kingdom now we've been encouraged these last few days we've been so encouraged and I know that there's dreams being birthed in people's hearts dreams of doing great exploits for him in our local churches, uh, maybe even as we were hearing earlier about being released from the, the cattle barn, as it were, to go and uh, run in the fields that God has for us, maybe even moving to different locations, maybe even uh, joining uh, church plants in different nations. We may have these ambitions um, starting to grow in our hearts, and these are good things. But I believe that the thing that will stop us from seeing uh, those things come to pass. It's not an increasingly secular uh, nation that we're living in. It's not an increasingly suspicious media who seems to you know, not trust Christianity. It's not any um, legislation that's increasingly progressive. It's none of that. It's no government that would seek to shut down uh, the Christian witness because the enemy's tried that before. He's tried it before. He's tried it in Jerusalem in 40 AD. He's tried it in North Korea. He's tried it in Iran. He's tried it everywhere. And it doesn't work. The poor guy, he keeps trying it. It doesn't work. Every time a Christian witness is shut down, it only ends up growing the kingdom of God. 
And so those things are not going to stop the church from advancing. Those things are not going to stop uh, us as individuals and in our churches seeing the purposes of God uh, in this nation and maybe even seeing revival. I believe that a big thing that may stop us, that may hinder us, is self-obsession. It's self-obsession. I felt this is what God laid on my heart for us today. You know, our generation has been dubbed the most narcissistic generation of all human history. I don't know if that's true. I don't think it's a problem just for our generation. I think it's a problem for older generations as well. But in the West right now, we are living in a seriously self-obsessed culture. When a, when a nation turns its back on God, uh, we, we, we focus on ourselves. We try and glorify ourselves. And the weak get crushed. We're seeing that right now, aren't we? We, you know, I used to work as a social worker with elderly people. Elderly people get swept aside. The unborn get swept aside. Young people end up in gangs and exploited. and The, the weak and the vulnerable get, get pushed aside when a nation turns its back on God. Because we become self-obsessed. And we are living in a nation of serious self-obsession. And this is a problem for Christians too. This is a problem for many, many Christians that we might uh, try and do all we can to try and um, somehow enhance our image or maintain some sort of image to the watching world or at least the world we think is watching. We'll put all our time and energy and resources and our money into trying to upkeep an image to try and impress others so that we can uh, be glorified for ourselves. These are resources that God wants us to pour into his kingdom. And if we're busy pouring them into an upkeep of some kind of image uh, so that we can point people to us, then we will not be effective uh, for his kingdom. The Apostle Paul was obsessed with advancing his reputation. Well, I should say Saul was obsessed with advancing his reputation. He was an expert in his field. He was uh, rising the ranks. He was a really respected guy and loved it when people said, that's Saul. He's a big deal. He's a big deal. He was, he was running headlong after a pursuit of self-glorification, really. And so important to him was his reputation that when uh, Christianity started to rise, when this, these followers of Jesus started to rise up, he would do anything, anything in his power to crush it, to stamp it out, to say, that's not going to happen. But you know what? When he met Jesus, everything changed. Everything changed because he saw true glory. He saw true glory. He saw glory that really satisfies. He saw glory that really uh, provides all that we could ever need. He saw that actually it was no longer about uh, trying to point people to him. It was about pointing people to Jesus. And he says in, uh, in Galatians, uh, I'm, gonna lose my, I'm losing my notes here. Here we go. Galatians chapter 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His coming to Jesus wasn't just, oh, I've got, I've got someone who I can pray to now. It's, I've got someone who's by my side at all times. It was I have been crucified with him. I'm, I'm no longer living for myself. When we come to Jesus, our, our lives get turned inside out. We're no longer living for our own glory. We're no longer living to point people to us. 
we're living to point people to Jesus, the true glorious king. Self-obsession is in danger of holding us back from doing great exploits for God and his glory. I want to just let that sink in for just a moment. Self-obsession, we're, we're in danger, friends, in all generations here of, of self-obsession, of trying to build for ourselves a reputation. And that can look like a number of different things. It can look like hitting the gym to meticulously keep up some sort of body uh, image that people might think, wow, he's, he's looking good or she's looking good. It might be um, you know, using as many filters as we possibly can on Instagram to try and kind of make ourselves uh, look good. Or it might be that we try and work ourselves into the ground to try and afford the latest uh, things, the, latest, the, you know, the best house, the best car, so that people can think they're successful, they're doing well for themselves. Underneath it all is this self-obsession, it's self-glorification. But when we come to Jesus... We're transformed from self-exaltation to Christ-exaltation. And the Apostle Paul was completely transformed. He went on to give his life to pointing people to Jesus, to give his life to seeing uh, new believers growing in God. I, I was reading just this week a few of the, um, the, 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 the epistles. Uh, when he writes to the churches, some of these, um, these phrases are amazing. He says... In Philippians 1, I long for you with the affections of Christ Jesus. In Galatians chapter 4, he says, I am in labor until Christ is formed in you. In deep agony, he, he was deeply agonized to see people growing up in Christ. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, we do not cease praying for you and giving thanks for you. He had a deep, deep affection to see others grow in God, to see others uh, taste Jesus because he had tasted and seen something in Jesus that he knew that others had to have. And once they had it, he wanted to see them grow more and more and more in that love for Jesus. That was his deep desire. And I really believe that God wants us to have that same desire to see others growing in him. I don't think it's just for uh, some apostles. It's not just for some church leaders, but it's for each one of us that as we uh, come to taste of his goodness more and more and more, that we would be desperate to see others growing and growing in their love for Jesus, that each one of us would have that kind of burden for others. Now, some of you, that might be the case for some of you already. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes in these kinds of meetings, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, I really hope so-and-so's here. I, re they re I really, really want them to uh, experience God uh, tonight. I really want them to enjoy God tonight. Maybe that's what's been going on for some of you. And you, there's a heart there which is, which is really good. You want to see others growing in God. Maybe for some of you, that's not the case. Let me tell you this. You, before we go and seek to see others growing up, we must, we must uh, seek to secure our own oxygen first. You know, when you go on a flight, the instructors, the um, stewards uh, come up the front and they say, if there's any emergency, please put on your own mask first. Um, because you know, if you don't do that and you seek to help others, then you're going to die, basically. You're going to be no good to others unless you secure your own oxygen first. We must secure our own oxygen first. We must be those who regularly taste and see how good God is. And only then will we be able to help others secure their oxygen masks. Only then will we be able to say to others, hey, let me encourage you. Let me uh, stir you up to grow in God. Or even those who don't yet know Jesus. Only then, when we're enjoying Jesus 
will we say to others, you need to know this, Jesus. You need to know him for yourself. We need to secure our own oxygen first. So what's our, what's our response um, to all we've heard uh, in these few days? What's our response to uh, the encouragement we've had from amazing um, speakers with amazing testimonies? What is our response? I want to say it's simply this, and this is for all of us. It's to make disciples. It's to make disciples. It's really, really simple. The job has never changed. It's never changed. It's to make disciples. It's to seek to see others growing in God. We simply enjoy God ourselves. We love him with our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. We follow after him, and we call others to do the same. And in the short time I have uh, remaining to speak to us, I want to just focus on three things that discipleship looks like. I feel this is worth going over um, because I was struck about six months ago um, by a comment that a, a friend of mine made who's in our church. And we had, I think, seen about 12 people last year give their lives to Jesus and get baptized, and which is great. We want, we want to see loads more, but that's wonderful. And so we're not here just to make converts. We're here to make disciples. And so I was looking through this kind of list of names and I was encouraging a bunch of leaders in our church to say, hey, can we get alongside these people? These are the people that I'm getting alongside. Here's some people that you uh, might like to get alongside. And let's see people uh, being encouraged and mentored. And a friend of mine who's been a Christian for many, many years said to me, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Is there a book, Is there a book that I've got to use? And it struck me that so often... We don't really know what discipleship looks like because we maybe haven't received discipleship ourselves. Or that we, we kind of, once we became a Christian, we were kind of left to get on with it. And so I feel this is just worth just going over a few things about what discipleship looks like from First Thessalonians in chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, uh, you might want to turn there. This is um, uh, the Apostle Paul again. He and... Uh, Silas and Timothy, they went to Thessalonica in Greece, saw a lot of people um, come to know Jesus, and then they stayed with them um, for some time afterwards. And this is what he uh, writes. We're going to read verses 5 to 12. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the first thing that discipleship looks like is 
a mother's selflessness. Paul, I don't know if you spotted that there, he's literally comparing himself to, I don't know if literally is the right word, literally he's overused way too much. He is comparing himself to a breastfeeding mother. So he's definitely not literally comparing himself to. He's <laughs> he is comparing himself to a breastfeeding mother. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever breastfed. I haven't. But it's not a glamorous job. It is not a glamorous task. It's not a sort of, hey, look at me, everyone. I'm, look what I'm doing kind of task. It's a selfless task. When we are turned inside out by Jesus, it means that we are selfless. It means our priorities will change. It means our priorities will change. It means that we maybe rather than simply just hanging out with those people that we find it easy to hang out with and uh, you know keeping our uh, in our holy huddle, we'd seek to involve others. We'd seek to involve those who don't yet know Jesus. We seek to involve those who are maybe have just come over uh, to know Jesus and who really need encouragement. Our timetable changes. Our, uh, our homes will get messy. You know, I have gone to a number of weddings over the last few years, and the biggest thing that my wife Sarah and I laugh at is the wedding lists, right? These lists on John Lewis and stuff, and people are asking for Vera Wang plates that are 35 quid each. And I'm thinking to myself, have these people got any ambition to be hospitable? Or, or, or I really, I, I, I'm thinking to myself, what is the point in getting a plate that's 35 quid when our lives are to be turned inside out, that we're to be bringing others into our homes and seeing people encouraged and nurtured? We don't want expensive stuff. We're going to get smashed all the time. We've seen about five glasses smashed in the last two weeks. You know, when we get turned inside out by Jesus, our priorities change. Our budget changes. Our plans change. We become self-giving. Can I encourage you, in the area of hospitality, don't wait until you're married or that you have your own home or that, you know, until you're 35. I, I am so passionate about hospitality because this is, this is the means by which the kingdom of God advances. It's very little to do with what's going on on the stage. That's probably 5% of it. It's in the home. It's, it's seeing your home as a, whatever you live, whether you're living in student accommodation or whether you're living in a nice plush house, your home is, is so key to kingdom advance. And I remember as a student, uh, my flatmates and I, we invited in real adults who could grow real beards <laughs> to come and be amongst us. Not just staying in a student bubble, but saying, come on in. We want to get to know you. We want to learn from you. We want to help you come to know Jesus if you don't know him already. Be hospitable. It doesn't look like having a show home or having, uh, you know, being able to cook like Jamie Oliver. We cannot do that. We, we do sausage and chips. That's what we do. <laughs> but don't wait until you're 35. Do it now. Same with giving. Don't wait until you're, don't keep saying, when I have this, when I have that. Just Start to walk in the ways that you want to be walking in in 25 years' time. Do it now. Do it now. So discipleship looks like self-giving. It looks like nurturing others through giving of yourselves. It requires time together. Verse 8, we've uh, just read this. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Verse 
uh, 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. It has to involve life on life, not just giving information. We're really good at giving information, aren't we? We're good at doing Bible studies and preaches and sharing podcasts and all that kind of stuff. That's all great, but nothing replaces being with people. Nothing replaces being with people. Having contact and allowing people to see how you live your life. The, the most powerful thing I felt last night was when Kevin and Emma shared about their tragic story and how this neighbor had just seen their life. She had just seen their life and going through the ups and downs, seeing how they had trusted in God. That is, the, that is far more powerful than sharing information with someone. It's far more powerful than a Bible study. These things are great. This is, I love conferences and churches. They're so important. But there's nothing beats being with people, showing an example. Jesus did this, didn't he? Wherever he went, he, his disciples went with him, whether it was to a funeral, to a wedding, to parties, to festivals. I imagine they just spent time having skimming competitions at the lake and uh, who, could, who could belch the loudest. And I just, you know, I, they, whatever they did, they went around with Jesus and they just saw what he did. They just copied him. They just followed him. We must allow uh, people to have access to our lives. So discipleship looks like a mother's selflessness. It looks like a mother's selflessness. Secondly, it looks like a father's exhortation. Verses 11 and 12. For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul's described himself as a mother and now he's describing himself as a father. Why does a father bring exhortation? Well, it's because a father has a vision for their child. Their father has a vision and ambition for their child. It's not a good father who has no vision or ambition for their child. God has, as our father, he has a great ambition for us, which is to become more like our big brother Jesus. That's what he wants for us. He has a great ambition for us. And so that's why we're challenged by him often. Because he wants us to grow and become more like Jesus. And earthly fathers, we, and mothers, this goes for mothers as well, we have a vision for our children and therefore we have to bring challenge sometimes. Therefore we have to help our children to grow up. I've got a three-year-old uh, and a couple of uh, five-year-olds and with my three-year-old, he's still wearing a nappy at night time. I do not want to be changing his nappy in 15 years' time. I don't want to see that. I want to be done with that very soon actually. I want to exhort him and say, no, we're going to have to deal with this and learn another way. I'm going to have to exhort him. And it might involve a few tantrums along the way. But we have to bring exhortation like a father to those that we're encouraging and discipling because we have a vision for people. Jesus had a vision for his disciples and that's why he would say to them, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Or uh, if you want to be uh, first, you have to become last. Or it's not to be like this amongst you. He would give often quite sharp exhortation because he had a vision for those that he was discipling. Our heart motivation when we exhort someone, when we urge them, when we call them uh, out of something is to see them grow uh, in God, to see them become more like Jesus for God's glory, for God's glory. And you might think that sounds really tough. 
You might even be thinking about friends uh, that you know, I, I just need to challenge them because the way they're living, something they're doing is not bringing glory to God. You might think they're going to run a mile. Possibly the biggest challenge I ever received uh, was when I was at university and I was, there was a, a, a period of a few months when I was being a, I was being a, a really poor witness. I was a Christian. I prayed. I went to church. But in the area of relationships, I was not acting in integrity. And a friend of mine um, took me aside and said, can we go for a walk? And uh, we walked around this park. And this friend said to me, listen, I really think the way you're acting right now is actually putting people off Jesus. It's not drawing people to Jesus. It's putting people off Jesus. And you need to get this right. You need to sort this out. You need to apologize to some people. And that person, a couple of years later, became my wife. (laughs) You know, had that challenge not been brought, I would have made a mess, I'm sure, for quite a lot longer to come. I went back to my room that day. I sobbed. I realized, yeah, I have been, I've been walking in sin. I've been, being, I've been an idiot. And I had to repent and get myself sorted out and, help, and ask others to help me get sorted out. You know, bringing challenge doesn't mean that person, you know, will, you know that old person will run a mile and never speak to you again. I got married to someone <laughs> who brought me really sincere challenge. And we were just friends at the time. And, 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 and Sarah saw something that was not right going on in my life. Let me encourage you, do not have a vision for your friends and those that you want to encourage. Have a vision for them. See them as the person that God wants them to be and say, look, this is not what God wants for you. Our heart motivation is the gospel. It's the glory of God. Make sure that when you're bringing challenge to someone, when you're bringing exhortation to them, that they know that, that they are absolutely certain that you love them, that you love them. The disciples, they never doubted Jesus' love for them. I've had timely interventions at times in my life, and I've given them to others as well. I was so blessed. Uh, Four or five nights ago, I switched on a live stream of another Christian conference, and uh, I was shocked. Someone had sent me the link. I was shocked to see a guy that I had discipled for six or seven years, a number of years ago, leading worship. And... Man, it was, it was phenomenal, this, uh, amazing. And I was so blessed to see it, so blessed to see it. And I remember very, very well driving him to go and play football on a Monday night. And he had not been in church for weeks because he was a very, very good footballer. And playing on Sundays, semi-professional level, uh, 17-year-old guy at the time. And I said, uh, do you want to become a professional footballer? No. Okay. You need to get with God's people. Yes, the yes, Christianity it, football needs Christians. But and you know, you I'm, I, you're in danger of walking away from your faith here. You're in danger. And it wasn't easy to say. It. I said, "What are you going to choose? You're going to choose getting to church. He wasn't able to get to youth group. All these kinds of things." And bought a timely challenge in my VW Polo on the way to football. And, and to be honest, over years, it looked like just driving a bunch of teenagers to go and play football with them. 20 minutes there, an hour's football and 20 minutes back. It looked like just investing in these guys. And it wasn't always profound. But that's, that's how we disciple people in everyday life. 
It's not like setting up kind of, you know, different uh, sessions. I'm going to disciple you on Monday night. Do you want to come along? No, I don't think they ever knew that I was discipling them, to be honest. This is how it looks. This is how it looks. This inside-out life is not easy, but it's a life of joy. I love this quote from John Piper. He says, if you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, your risks will be high, and your joy will be full. This is a call for all disciples. This is a call for all of us here this afternoon. It's a call for all of us. I think for the last 10 years, I've given myself to discipling others, to encouraging others, to seeking to see others grow in God. This is a call for all of us. This is a call for all of us in, an, in a different generation. It's a call for all of us in a younger generation. And it will mean that our life will be hard and our risks will be high, but it means our life will be full of joy because we get to see others growing up. That's the joy of parenting, really. That's the joy of parenting is seeing others growing up. This is not just for church leaders or those that work for the church. This is for all of us. The most fruitful times of my life in discipleship have probably been when I haven't been working for the church, when I've had a full-time job and when I've just been giving my life to investing in others. So that's what I want to encourage us in today, is to make disciples. That's simply what we do from here, is to make disciples. We go after Jesus, we go after him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we seek to share that oxygen with others. We secure our own oxygen first, we share it with others. Can we stand? I'd love to pray for us, and then maybe uh, Mike or, or Steph could come and lead us. Father, we've loved these last few days. You've been so good to us. We're so inspired and encouraged by stories of courage. So, uh, so helped, Lord, by uh, a vision from Mike Betts and others of all that you want to do through us as a family of churches. We are, we are up for this, Lord. We're so up for it. And, but I want to just pray that uh, you would help us to give ourselves to this in the long haul. This is a long haul thing, Lord. This is not a flash in the pan thing. Lord, help us to have a mother's selflessness. Lord, help us to have a father's vision. Uh, Lord, to see others growing in you. Help us to give our lives to making disciples in the months and years and decades to come. Because this is what you have for all of us as your followers, is to make disciples. Would you help us, I pray. Help us as a generation. Lord, help us to get this, Lord. Help us to not say, I will do this when, I will do this when I'm married, or I'll do this when I have a proper job, or I'll do this when I have more money, or I have a house. No, Lord, help us to do it now. Help us to seek to be those who encourage and exhort and urge others to live for the glory of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.